Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitaki, and uh, I'm excited to welcome you today to podcast number 36. Uh, we've had a lot of great content over the last uh, couple of weeks, and I'm hope- hoping that you're enjoying uh, the content. We're starting to get a point now where we're starting to get some of the listeners asking or recommending people for us to talk to, and uh, today is one of those guests. Uh, today we have Andy Coleman, and he's a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy. He served as a military intelligence officer with the Air Force and the Army. After leaving active duty, Andy attended the University of Kansas School of Law. Andy briefly entered the private legal practice before being called to full-time ministry as the Middle East Regional Director for the Voice of the Martyrs. With Voice of the Martyrs, Andy traveled 80 to 100 days every year to some of the world's most difficult countries in order to help persecuted Christians. This consisted of hundreds of projects annually with multi-million dollar portfolios. Andy and his wife Liz have been married for 14 years and have been blessed by three three children. So Andy, first of all, welcome to the podcast. And Thanks for having me. Man, your your intro right there has just so many things that we can talk about to get started, but I probably uh, skimmed through a lot. So wherever I kind of, uh, if you will, kind of fill in the blanks a little bit and kind of introduce yourself to the audience. I'm not that old. I'm 38, but uh, <laughs> I've certainly worn a, a variety of hats over my career. And, you know, at times the path has seemed winding, but I, I just definitely see that uh, it's been a good one. I've been grateful for the opportunity I've had. And... Uh, I'm just, it's, I've just been blessed. Yeah. Well, when we kind of did our, our pre-show a little bit a couple of days ago, you talked about how uh, when you were in the Air Force, uh, you, you served as a military intelligence officer, but that wasn't what you thought you wanted to do. So kind of talk a little bit about like what got you into that, and then at, at what point were you realized that uh, maybe going down the path of being a pilot, which is what I guess everyone wants to be when they're in the Air Force, uh, to, to really where you were starting to figure out what you were created to do. Right. Well, sure, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, when I was 14, I decided that I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. I worked very diligently to, to have that happen. And like a lot of people on that course, I thought, you know, I wanted to be a combat pilot. You know, I love the idea of being a combat pilot. Went to the academy. I got. I was successful. I was admitted. Um, and as a cadet, you know, I, I was just taking every step I could to make that that pilot dream a reality. I became an instructor pilot in the gliding program at the academy. If anybody's visited the the campus, you know, Colorado Springs, they'll they'll see those gliders flying all over. Well, I was teaching other cadets how to fly those, um, and all of that was to prepare me for pilot training. But I I started to sense that something was off. I enjoyed flying to an extent, and I was decent at it. I was a, a, I was good at it, but um, I really wasn't passionate about it 
really at all. I knew something was wrong when bad weather would roll in and we'd be grounded for the day and all the IPs, the instructor pilots are in the hangar and everybody else is kind of grumpy and, and mopey. And I'm tickled that I get to curl up with uh, in the hangar with a Tom Clancy novel and uh, get into that. So, And also when I studied the academy, the, the courses I was most excited about, those were your national security classes, your international policy classes, your political science courses. A lot of my teachers were intelligence officers, and I would love to hear their stories and just uh, their backstories. But I couldn't release the idea of being a pilot. And honestly, I was a pretty prideful guy. I, I thought I was pretty great stuff. Um, and that, that idea of that, that identity of being a pilot was a part of that. Um, but at some points I really realized that, man, this, this idea isn't consistent with who I am. And, and like you said, it isn't really consistent with how I feel wired. I'm content that if I serve in the military, I know I'll have to be away from my family for long stretches of time. And I'm okay with that. But if given the option, I would much rather do something that I'm truly passionate about that I get excited waking up every day to do. And that was the intelligence career field. Yeah. So that came to a head eventually. And I did, I, I left the, the pilot community, uh, to pursue the intelligence career track. Uh, for me, that was very humbling, um, somewhat embarrassing, somewhat disorienting, uh, the family and friends that had watched me for so many years pursue this single goal, um, to walk away from that, uh, I think it perplexed them, it concerned them, but it was absolutely the right call. I'm glad I did it. I, in, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and when I look back on my walk, um, I had to be humbled. I had to kind of be crushed a little bit, taken down a peg or two um, to really start to grow. Yeah. Well, we, we talked earlier about I believe that a lot of times when you look at yourself, you are created with a lot of different talents, but there's your talents, but then there's also your purpose. And I mm -hmm. think that, you, that because you saw the success as being a, a pilot, that part of you felt that that was something that you were supposed to do. But mm -hmm. I think your heart was telling you you're different. And, and uh, I, I kind of relate to that a lot because um, I've, I've used the term on myself, a, a jack of all trades, master of none. And because I was, I was really good at a lot of different things. I never really truly specialized until I really found out who I was. And mm -hmm. I love how you said that you kind of had to be humbled a little bit because that, that pride gets in the way, right? And you yeah. think, you know, well, I'm good at this, so I should be this. And then you've, you've just purposed in your mind that that's who you're going to be. But ultimately, what you realize is that your purpose is somewhere else. And mm -hmm. you may be fighting it, but ultimately, once you embrace what you're kind of running from, uh, it's a lot more fulfilling. Absolutely. And I think this is a, something that your listeners are probably wrestling through or, or going to wrestle through. Uh, sometimes you are gifted at something um, and that can lead you to believe that that, well, because I'm gifted at that or that's that's the, the skill set that I, I bring to the table. That's necessarily what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people like you described, they have talents in a variety of different things. So it can be challenging to kind of discern your next steps or what you're supposed to do, um, what your purpose is. And sometimes it is. Sometimes if you are gifted in something, that is a good signal that you're supposed to walk down that path. It's just not always the case. Yeah. Um, I think your entrepreneurs, I think uh, people that are in business 
a lot of times they have a lot of different talents and trying to figure out what way to deploy those and what way they're supposed to be directed is challenging. Yeah. A lot of times when you're faced with those decisions of, all right, I'm good at this, but I feel more alive at, at, on this uh-huh. other side. And, and you're kind of saying, well, I've put all myself, all myself into this thing, but I know that I'm, or I feel like I'm being pulled in this direction. And we talk a lot about in the business world, overcoming that fear, that fear of the unknown and stepping outside of that comfort zone. And so for you, you definitely had to step outside of that comfort zone because you knew that you were successful as a pilot. You were, you were on the right path. Uh, to do that, and so to completely uproot yourself from that and and step in, into that new area was mm-hmm. outside of what you knew essentially what what could happen. So talk a little bit about um, those first couple of days. I mean, were you questioning yourself? Like, what what are the the things that you kind of thought would happen and, and they did happen, but ultimately, where did where did you finally say, you know, what I've made the right decision? Yeah, well, you're spot on. It's a totally it was a completely different trajectory. So one of those points in your life where if you continue to walk down this path, it leads to one direction, but if you break off, it's going in an entirely different direction. But I'll say this, when I when I just kind of realized, man, I this isn't for me, I'm supposed to be going this way. It was tough, it was dramatic, it wasn't easy. My wife Liz was a pillar for me, she was a bedrock of support where everything else was kind of spinning out of control or so it seemed she was always just very firm and supportive and affirming um, and I needed that but an interesting thing for me was I had a peace about it um, even though it was stressful I slept well I just had this sense that yeah this is tough um, but you're on the right path I'm actually reminded of kind of a cheesy movie from back in the 90s. Uh, I think it was Far and Away with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. There's this scene where he's on a train and he's going, you know, on this train. But then he realizes I'm on the wrong path. And he jumps off the train and walks in a different direction. It was kind of one of those moments for me. But it was, I had this peace. I had this sense that, and what it really did for me, though, going back to that humbling element, whereas before I was, very almost arrogant, very full of myself. Beginning of that time, I was like, man, I, I was really knocked down. I was really knocked down. And it was also that moment where for the first time in my life where I had kind of orchestrated, I kind of engineered where I thought I was going to go. I had my whole career path laid out. It was the first time where I really realized I don't have a clue. <laughs> and when I talk about my spiritual walk, that's where I was like, you know, I just had kind of a a moment where I was disoriented and I just prayed and I said, God, um, I've made a mess of this um, and I don't know the way out of it. I, I, I can't fix it myself. I feel like I really uh, messed up a lot of opportunities that I've worked hard for. Uh, but if you can make something of this, you can have it. Um but I'm letting go. I don't know the way out. And I got to, I just got to lean on you. Wow. There was so much in that. I hope that our <laughs> listeners really kind of tuned in and, and if anything, hit that rewind button and, and listen again, because I'm going to try to unpack a couple of those things. And, and then I want to kind of get into the intelligence side of stuff. But first and foremost, I think it's really important to recognize the importance of having a spouse or somebody on your team that will support you. And I know you briefly touched on that, but I want to, I want to kind of circle back to that a little bit because 
um, when you're going through those hard times, uh, and I've, I've dealt with this too, and you can tell me if you can relate, uh, when you're going through those times where you're feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you're trying to make these huge decisions that having that person there to support you is one of the best things that you could possibly have. But I think for me, the struggle was, do I share this struggle with this other person, with my spouse, because I don't want to put that burden on them. And I think Mm -hmm. what you ultimately realize is, is that's the person that you, that it does have the capacity to, to help you and support you. And you have to feel comfortable trusting uh, that relationship for them to support you. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're going through trials like this, and you will, if you haven't already, uh, for your listeners, you will, that they will come. You do need uh, somebody that has your back, that's somebody that's going to support you, um, that's going to speak life into that scenario. And here's an interesting thing. I've seen in a couple different uh, views, uh, going through the military, going through boot camp, and even going to you know, to war, uh, you see people and and you go through trials and challenging circumstances, frightening circumstances. And going through that, the bonds that you make Mm -hmm. are incredibly deep. That same phenomenon plays out in in marriage. Um, I look back at the trials when, you know, I've laughed so much with Liz. We've had so many good times, but we've also had to hit our knees Mm -hmm. um, at times in our life too. And as tough as that was, the bonds, the the marital bond that we make through those experiences and supporting one another is just incredible. And what I've also found is it seems true. I don't know if this is consistent with everybody's experience, but when I'm really taking some to the teeth, when I'm taking some body shots, it seems like Liz has typically been empowered to really kind of support me in those seasons. Mm-hmm. And at times when she's really wrestling with things or having a hard time, I feel like I'm uniquely strong in those seasons and able to, to help her out. So in a way, we've just always complimented one another, but we've had to had to go through some you know trials. Yeah, and and that's something that I'm still definitely working on because for me, like I I I don't I don't always feel comfortable putting that stuff out there. So and what I'm learning is that as I talk to my wife, is she's like, you know what? Like when you're going through that stuff or whatever else, I always like I married you because I believe that no matter what challenges put in front of you, that you can do it. So you could tell me that it's the worst possible situation and she or I could tell her that and she'd look at me and be like, okay, well, you'll figure it out. Like I have all the confidence in the world that you'll figure it out. And and just hearing that just kind of reinvigorates you. And I, I think that, you know, having that that team and that support is 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 very important so i definitely wanted to to touch Mm -hmm. on that but uh you talked a little bit about far and away so i i won't ask for (laughs) your your man card yet but um because it's almost gonna get checked i know (laughs) i need to make sure that it's still there but uh i'll give you an alternative uh quote that you can use instead of having to quote uh the movie um i think john maxwell said you can't change your uh destination overnight, but you can change your direction. And that's essentially what you're talking about with that is, is realizing that you're on that wrong path mm-hmm. or maybe the path that you think is the right path, but ultimately you know that, that some sort of change needs to happen. You need to follow your heart and, and, yeah. and go and, and make that thing. And it, it, you know what, it is going to be uncomfortable. It is going yeah. to be something that is a challenge for you, 
But there's also peace with that because uh, like when we talked to Dave Jewett on the podcast, you're in that one degree. You're in that area of your life that you were created for. And that's what brings you to life. It's not something that you dread going to. Uh, We we talk a lot about, you know, if if you're operating in your purpose and you're doing the things that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that that can be true if you find that that purpose. Well, and making that transition, like you said, can be stressful and hard, but there's also tremendous adventure in it. And that's that's kind of fun to walk through. So it may be tough. Um, It may be uncertain. You may not be exactly clear where your next step is going to land, but there's adventure in that. And that's a lot of fun. Well, speaking of adventure, let's talk a little bit about the intelligence side, because that's actually really, really intriguing. So you went uh, into the Army uh, as or who you did, did it in the Air Force and the Army as a military intelligence officer. So kind of explain what that is, yeah. because I think once people understand it, it's like that's the Tom Clancy stuff, right? Well, yeah. So I I did when I left the, the pilot world, if you will, I uh, was very fortunate to, to be successful in that intelligence track. And I was an Air Force intelligence officer. And I was assigned to CINTAF. That's the Air Force component that's focused on the Middle East and North Africa. Mm-hmm. Fascinating work during a fascinating season of history. So we were looking at everything, you know, all the activities that are going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. It was essentially 27 countries, a lot of wow. a big swath of territory. Um, and yeah, so I was kind of looking at everything from air and air defense issues to military threats and you name it. Um, the Army part of that came in when I got off active duty. I went to law school, but I was still a reservist and I was assigned to a unit in Germany. So they were more focused on kind of the Eurasian theater. Mm-hmm. I got mobilized after my first year of law school. Talk about something that was unexpected and you don't, you know, it looks like it's a, a curse, but it actually turned out to be a blessing. But that, when I got mobilized, I found out that, yeah, you're not going with the Air Force. This time you're getting farmed out to the Army. So I had to go out to Fort Bragg for two, three months, train up with them, and I deployed to, to West Baghdad as a senior intelligence officer for an Army brigade. So interesting times. So at, if I'm understanding correctly, you're basically working with people in those areas to kind of identify where and what you should do, where those threats are. So how do you build a relationship uh, to get that kind of information from the people that live there? I mean, did, cause you're a foreigner in their country waging sure. war. How do, how does that, how do you develop that level of trust to help those people? Well, it's, it's actually kind of an interesting dynamic. So like uh, in the in my work with the Air Force, what I was really doing is looking at information from a variety of different groups, um, trying to help put together products for commanders to make the best decisions in these countries. Um, when I was with the Army, what I was really looking at is trends on the ground with uh, there's you know a lot of militias, mm-hmm. a lot of groups that intended our troops harm. This was during the surge, 2007 to 2008, when we were trying to stand up energy grids and infrastructure, medical clinics, trying to get that country up and off the ground. But that's what I was doing mostly. We did engage with local Iraqis, but for the most part, I was just looking at other metrics for the the troops there on the ground. But an interesting thing, because we were engaged with local Iraqis, that's what exposed me to persecuted Christians. I met Christians, a number of them were displaced. I'd heard about the persecuted church before, um, it was an intriguing kind of story for me, you know, but something distant and removed, a headline, if you will. 
But once I started to like hear the stories from their own mouths, learn their names, play with their kids, break bread with them, uh, my heart just swelled for this community. And that was that was one of the blessings that I saw that came out of that unexpected deployment to Baghdad. And that ultimately led you to Voice of the Martyrs. So if you can kind of explain what Voice of the Martyrs is, because I've heard the name before, but yeah. I haven't really learned a lot about what the actual organization is. Yeah, so Voice of the Martyrs is uh, a, a interdenominational Christian ministry headquartered in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. That surprises a lot of people. Wow, I didn't know that. But it's actually a significant project. I mean, it's a significant ministry. I think they're somewhere on the order of $50 million a year in ministry. Well, in 2016, just in the work that I was doing, I was serving as the regional director for their Middle East field work. That looked like eight and a half million dollars of projects spread over 17 countries. I think we talked about that a little bit in the intro, but a significant undertaking. It's right here. Wow. Their work is to their their vision is to basically help and assist the persecuted church in the worst countries on the planet. They're active, I believe, in 67 countries, really the hardest 67 countries uh, to be a Christian. And those are some tough neighborhoods, tough places to work. Yeah. And so I was working everywhere from a little bit of North Africa through the Middle East through uh, a little bit of Central Asia. So. And you were actually going to these countries? Yeah, spending quite a lot of the time each year going there. Um, very risky work. You had to be very careful in how you conducted yourself, but very rewarding work. So when I was in Baghdad with the Army, connected with the, the Iraqi Christians there, I was able to basically stand up an ad hoc ministry, if you will, where my family, uh, church, my friends would send over assistance. And I would just get that to these communities, these hurting communities. I was so, I just enjoyed that so much that I was like, man, this is what I want to do in my retirements. You know, <laughs> God's allowed me to feel comfortable, giving me these experiences that make me comfortable in these otherwise dangerous locations. But I want to travel around and encourage these people and help them out. But yeah, like you said, um, I didn't have to wait till retirement. I got the opportunity to do it much earlier in my life. I practiced law at a large law firm uh, before that, but I was only there for about a year when I felt very powerfully directed back into the Middle East, into the nonprofit world, into the Christian ministry world. And I haven't looked back. My family's been blessed by it. Um, you're talking about kind of discerning your calling and your purpose. Sometimes that those transitions leave people scratching their heads. Um, it was the job I was doing in the Middle East really was a clandestine job. Not many people could know what I was doing. The few lawyers and law partners that I was able to share the transition with, leaving a large law firm to go uh, for much less pay and in a much res riskier scenario, they, they were scratching their heads. <laughs> it didn't necessarily make sense to them. But if you ask Liz, if you ask me, we would do it again in a heartbeat Liz has traveled with me throughout Iraq and Lebanon and Jordan. She's really been a blessing to a lot of the women and the kids over there. I've even had the opportunity to take my oldest son throughout places like, like Turkey and Israel and the West Bank. So fantastic experiences. It's just a joy to be able to serve them. Um, and there's amazing things going on over there. So Yeah, I think it's hard for, for me and, and the listeners to relate because... Like, for example, here, my phone has a Bible app on it that I have multiple translations of every single possible Bible. I can go to church and worship freely. I can pray 
openly with my family. I can pray before a meal at a restaurant. I can pray here at my office with my team. And yeah, there's a little bit of like, what will people think? But that's really kind of it. So, so talk a little bit about what it, what the persecuted uh, underground church is going through. So when, when I describe the Middle East, I just re- remind people that it's not monolithic. Um, there's a lot of complexity there, a lot of nuance. Uh, the Persian world is not the same as the Arab world, which is not the same as the Pakistani world, all of that. So in these different settings, the church is encountering different types of pressure. But yeah, I mean, it is tough. It can be very tough. You can imagine scenarios like in Syria, in Yemen, mm-hmm. Libya, uh, in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, very challenging situations for people that are uh, followers of Jesus Christ. Very difficult. The way I describe it um, is that, you know, here in America, sometimes we might fear the raised eyebrow because uh-huh. of faith, but over there they they really do fear the raised fist, yeah. and yet still faithful. So when we're over there, we're encouraging them. We don't have a game plan that we're trying to have them follow. We're instead just trying to listen to how God's already at work in their hearts and helping them out and, and reaching out to others. There's a lot of refugee situations over there that they're active in and need help uh, servicing all these hurting people. So we just kind of quietly come behind and equip them and help them, pray with them. Um, but I think it's important for me to capture this. I, As much practical and spiritual assistance as I feel like we've been able to deliver from Voice of Mars, and it's been a lot, mm-hmm. I almost feel like we have been more blessed by them. And we try to bridge that back to Christians in America just because of the perspective they bring to bear, the joy that they can still feel despite hardships, despite persecution, the uh, just the resilience and the grit that they bring to their walk. I think more and more of us need to hear about that mm-hmm. um, so that if those raised eyebrows do happen, you know, we can be like, well, yeah, I can take that. I can still be <laughs> you know, sincere in my faith, whether that's in my workplace or at home or in my community. Um, I can have that integrity of, of who I am. I'm the same in private as I am in public, um, just because of the examples that these these people have. Um, some of them have walked through fire, you know, tremendous trials, and yet they still have joy. They're still faithful. They're still busy about their work, and I, I've just been blown away. Yeah. Very humbling experience. So what what has it done with your personal walk with God? I mean, to see stuff like that and to be able to go and help those people, what has changed in your walk? It's put everything in perspective. Things that in the past I would have perceived as really, really big things, you know, huge mountains. Now I'm like, uh, okay, that uh, that's really not that big. You yeah. know, I've seen people be very, very faithful in the Middle East, and I've seen them just... Uh, take some hits because of it, and yet they dust themselves off and they keep walking. Sometimes these efforts are very complex. Sometimes they're very simple, and sometimes it's the most simple stories that touch me the most. A great example is this is from India. One of my friends was leaving the work there, but he shared this story with me about a very, I mean, there was this uh, gentleman, his entire work was he had a bicycle, Mm -hmm. and he would bicycle from village to village, and he would get out a drum and start whacking on this drum. And eventually, in those rural villages, a crowd forms. There's a lot of noise and commotion. Well, let's, you know, crowd forms. Yeah. And once the crowd was there, he'd just kind of 
share the gospel. And so my friend would ask me, he's like, wow, so what would happen, you know, in these frontier areas? These, these aren't Christian villages. How'd that go? And he's like, well, sometimes it was really amazing. You know, people heard the gospel and they came to faith. Yeah. And my friend's like, wow, that's great. Well, what, what happened the other times? Oh, well, they beat me. <laughs> they, they beat you? Yeah, they beat me. Well, what, did, what do you do then? And he would just say, well, when I'd wake up, I'd dust myself off and bicycle to the next village. And I hear those kinds of stories. And I'm just like, <laughs> man, you know, the hardships that I that the first world problems that we have yeah. don't seem so significant when you're uh, meeting with people like that, meeting with people whose families have uh, had very significant challenges or maybe live in very impoverished areas. It just puts everything in perspective. So when you say wake up, it's not like they woke up in a hotel the next morning and decided to go to the next place. They woke up from being unconscious. That's right. Oh, man. <laughs> so, well, a very sincere guy. Yeah, that's... You know, I think when you truly understand and, and you have that passion to do that, I, I think that's awesome that somebody would go to that extent because they truly care about other people so much that they're willing to put themselves in that harm's way uh, to, to share that, to, to save, ultimately to put them in a position where they, they can be saved. Uh, that's just, man, that's going to take yeah. me a little bit to process that, but that, that's, that's a pretty <laughs> awesome story. I know we kind of alluded to this theme a little bit of, of following your heart. I mean, you've, you've transitioned from being a pilot to going into intelligence to going into being a lawyer um, and and going to ultimately working for Voice of the Martyrs uh, and, and now to kind of where you are today. Um, servant leadership comes up a lot uh, in, in this podcast and things that we talk about. And ultimately, everything that you've done up until this point is very servant based. And, uh, you know, for you, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that next level of service that you're working towards right now. Mm -hmm. So tell the, tell the listeners a little bit about kind of what drew you to go down to this path of running for, for the uh, congressional district, uh, uh, number one in, in, yeah. in Oklahoma and, uh, what's kind of led you to kind of follow your heart now to this point. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's another interesting transition running for office for U.S. Congress. I mean, that's a big, big step. Yeah. But servant leadership is a big part of what I've been doing and what I would hope to do if, if I'm successful. And I think it's always important for you to kind of define your terms. I think, you know, servant leadership can be tossed around, but it's important to kind of look at what that means. And I, I regard it as somebody that puts the welfare of others ahead of oneself or one's career. Um, I've just had a lot of opportunities going through the Air Force Academy, serving in the Air Force, serving as a lawyer, serving with ministry, to be in a, a number of leadership roles myself, but also to, to be, frankly, in followership roles where I, I've served under a number of different types of leaders and I've had the opportunity to kind of glean the best from those and also kind of be aware of maybe unhealthy or less less impactful leadership strategies. And, and here's what I'll just, this is a good way I, I feel that captures that sentiment is I've served like, let's go to the military. I've served under those officers who would say they basically point to their collar. They would point to their rank and say, do A, B and C. And I would do A, B and C and that's fine. I'll honor the rank and that's great. And some of them were very good leaders. But what I have discovered is that the best leaders were those that I describe as servant leaders. When there was something tough that had to be done, when we had to do A, B, and C, 
instead of pointing to their collar or pointing to their rank, they rolled up their sleeves and they would say, listen, we've got this tough job to do. And they would just kind of jump right in and be in the mix and be a part of that, even if it wasn't easy and if it was heavy lifting. Um, those are the types of individuals that I'd be like, oh, okay. He never had a point to his rank. He just got into the mix and he led by example. Mm -hmm. That's what I would want to follow anytime. The way that that played out into this transition, you know, in 2015, generally I'm always busy. I'm traveling all the time in the Middle East. I'm managing all these projects and I'm, I'm working with a great field team uh, focused on the Middle East, but I was injured for little bits. So while I was recovering from that injury, I was on the couch. So it was almost like I was forced to pause. And during that season, I was just watching the campaign coverage. And, I, you know, day after day watching things play out, it left me pretty unsettled pretty fast. Mm -hmm. I'm a policy guy. That's, you know, that's why I studied at the Air Force Academy. That's one of the reasons I went to law school was my concerns with how the U.S. Constitution was being stretched and strained. So when I was watching all of this, I, I started to get this sense of discontent. Mm -hmm. And at some point I was just like, man, this is bad. I would love to have a voice in this conversation as I, as that kind of percolated and, and continued to, to grow. I, I was just like, man, and I feel like my background and my skills would help me to be an effective voice in that conversation. And then as that continued to develop, I was reminded at some point that Jim Breinstein, our current congressman, was going to be vacating his seat to honor a term limits pledge. And I frankly liked a lot of, of what Jim has done, mm -hmm. um, appreciated his views um, and his firmness. And so the idea of, of helping out in that capacity played into it as well. But I wasn't convinced for a long time. It took months of processing, going over it with Liz, months of prayer. I eventually sought out good counsel from a few of the families that knew what I was doing. A lot, most did not know what I was up to, but those that did, I would, I would listen to them. And after several months, uh, the penny finally dropped for me. And I just sensed, yeah, as, as unorthodox as this is, I do feel like I'm supposed to pivot. I've been serving behind, uh, the front lines, if you will, mm -hmm. in this fashion, but I am supposed to pivot uh, from these shadows and march out into the bright lights of a public campaign. If I'm successful, I hope that I would bring the same type of servant leadership model that I have here. I only want to go uh, in this in this role if I'm going to be effective as a representative, if I'm going to be effective uh, serving the families of Oklahoma's first district. I love the idea of citizen legislators. If, if I'm successful, my family's not going anywhere. We're parked right here mm -hmm. uh, in Oklahoma. If I'm in session, I'll be there in D.C. If I'm not in session, I'm going to be right here. I'll try to maximize my accessibility. I'm going to try to be as much a part of the community as I possibly can. And that's what I want to bring to the table. I really am encouraged by some of the caliber of people that I see running uh, to replace Jim. It's almost like Jim has set the tone of what a true example for a congressman should be. And mm -hmm. I'm very encouraged by the, the, the people that have kind of stepped up and I don't know what it is about air force pilots, but, uh, I don't, I, I, maybe he kind of paved the way for people who have flown planes to, to want oh, to he's about government. Really bad if he's listening, cause he, he would point out right now that he is a naval aviator. He doesn't oh, want yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he probably would. I'll probably get an email later. So, uh, Jim, I apologize on that. I know you like to fly, fly planes. So yeah, he uh, does. Yeah. He, he does. He. I, I sense that he loves the aviation world. He clearly loves the space world, the policy world, um, and just. I just want to clarify. I actually am not an Air Force pilot. I was a, a pilot at the Air Force right, Academy, right. but that was before. You know, I didn't do the. I didn't complete pilot training or anything like that. But. Yeah, I, I do have a flying background, but not like Jim's. I want to kind of give you the last word here as we kind of close out. Um, you know, you, you kind of know who our audience is and who we're trying to reach. And I, I know we've talked about a, a lot of different topics, but I think some of those key points kind of keep popping up here. And, man, I love how you talked about the best leaders are servant leaders. So I, I do want to give you the last word and kind of to close it out. So what would what would be your message to young businessmen, those guys who are getting started in their careers and getting started uh, with their families and, and those kinds of things? Uh, what would you say to kind of yourself 10 years ago to kind of encourage yourself as you're working towards those next steps? I would say try to be intentional in everything you do. Try to be intentional in the way that you conduct yourself at home and in your workplace. Be intentional in looking around to the team you serve on, uh, to the business you're a part of, and really asking yourself the question, like I have to ask myself now, because I have blind spots all over the place, but am I am I really serving others well? Am I bringing excellence to the table um, and helping out this team? Or am I really more focused on what's best for me? That's a tension that's always gonna be there, just the way I think that people are, all of us are. So be thoughtful in that. I'd also encourage them to be, find balance, find balance. I, I really did a tremendous amount while I was at the Air Force Academy, too much, honestly. I took too many classes. I made so many commitments and I pulled it off and I proved to myself that, yeah, I really can survive in a furious pace. It was, I had to learn some tough lessons through that, lessons that I, I later learned to apply in law school. For example, I opened up that law library, and if I wasn't in class, I was studying. Uh, but come five o'clock, I was done, and I went home. I put on my second hat, and that was I'm a husband, and I'm a dad, and I've got to fence off time for them and be intentional on that. So try to try to apply those principles of servant leadership. Find that balance so that you're not lopsided, and uh, yeah, just be a part of your community and, and, and bless those around you. And if people want to find out more about my background or even where I land on the issues, or if they want to follow up and talk to me, I'd welcome that opportunity. They could go to my website at www.andycoleman.org or check me out on Facebook or Twitter. And I'd, I'd be more than happy to, to speak more on to any of this. Awesome. Well, we'll put those links in the, uh, the notes of the podcast as well. So if you guys want to reach out to Andy or learn more about him, Make sure you do that. Andy, thank you for taking the time to speak to our group, to our audience. We're excited to see kind of where this path takes you of following your heart. Uh, and we'll, we'll be cheering for you. So thank you for being on the podcast. Well, it was a joy. I hope it was helpful. And thank you for your time. All right, listeners, we'll see you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. 
Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.